Are things about to get better at our hellacious Canadian airports anytime soon? Well, in a word, no. It's Friday, August 5th, 2022. I'm David Menzies, and this is the Ezra Levent Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. So on Wednesday, a press release from Canada Border Services Agency, CBSA, plopped on my desk. And at first blush, the headline certainly looked promising, quote, make your customs and immigration declaration in advance and save time at the border, end quote. Well, that sounds quite jolly now, doesn't it? Given that outrageous lineups at Canadian airports, well, they're so de rigueur these days. In fact, it's now far beyond annoying and aggravating. The Canadian airport experience is a borderline form of torture. Indeed, as we recently reported, thanks to the various stupefying mandates of the Justin Trudeau Liberals, Toronto Pearson International is the number one airport in the world. Um, number one when it comes to the most delayed flights. Yes, this dubious achievement is based on data obtained from the flight tracking company FlightAware. The data covers the period of May 26 to July 19, 2022. Oh, and FlightAware noted Pearson was number four in the world when it comes to cancelled flights. Way to go. Pearson International Airport has been ranked the worst airport in the entire world, sir, in terms of flight delays, fourth worst in the world in terms of cancelled flights. What has been your experience here? I guess I'd say we agree. We're, <laughs> okay. we're flying through Toronto to get back to Columbus and all of our lost all of our luggage and all of our flights got cancelled. Came in from Reykjavik and my flight to continue on to Saskatoon has been cancelled. Oh, so, wow. I'm going to find the Sheraton Hotel, where I have a voucher. And I also have two $10 meal tickets. Two ten? What can you get for <laughs> And after that, uh, I'm going to check in and watch television until I fall asleep. You know, the situation at Pearson and other major Canadian airports is so dire, it is quite literally a matter of life and death. Oh, not for the beleaguered homo sapien travelers. We just endure misery and plenty of it. Rather, I speak of pets. Remember our story last month about little Winston? This was a rescue dog flown to Toronto from the Dominican Republic by Jenna Butts. Winston probably wished he never left the DR. You see, the airport folks lost the little dog like he was a piece of luggage. By the way, parts of Pearson now resemble the island of lost luggage as hundreds of wayward suitcases pile up. But what made matters worse when it came to Winston is that Jenna says airport and airline staff, well, they didn't seem to care that her dog was lost and famished and thirsty. Check it out. I seen a lot of people saying, you know, you saved him from the Dominican and then you had to save him from air transit as well. Quite literally, the voyage almost killed him. And they called me downstairs and the custom woman opened, uh, ripped open his crate and had him uh, with a bowl of water in front of him. And he was soaking wet in his own pee. 
and they could have definitely been more empathetic. Okay. Um, I was kind of just pushed to the side and nobody was helping me. So I blame Air Transat. But you know what is truly incredible about the dubious achievements of Pearson International? All airports were surveyed by FlightAware, including those airports situated in third world nations. Pearson's record of 57.1% of flights arriving late is inexcusable. And by the way, things were only slightly less ghastly at Montreal Trudeau Airport, with 52.6% of flights being delayed. <laughs> Indeed, so much for flying the friendly skies, air travel in Canada today resembles the title of one of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes, namely Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Not that liberal cabinet ministers experience delays and cancellations and endless lineups. For them, it's first class and customer service excellence all the way. They are VIPs after all. They get the royal treatment while slapping down a carbon footprint that is godzillion in size. Indeed, you don't really think Justin Trudeau has to get in line when he, say, buggers off to Costa Rica like he did last week, do you? Hey, they say that Nero fiddled as Rome burned way back when. Today we have a prime minister who surfs and smokes a bong as Canada becomes increasingly dysfunctional. No, seriously, whether it is getting on a plane or renewing one's passport, nothing seems to work properly anymore because... So many government employees are apparently still sitting on their fat ricotta cheese candy asses at home as opposed to being on the front lines providing, you know, customer service as opposed to virtual customer service. In fact, that day we visited Pearson International last month, not even the vending machine that dispenses the still mandatory face diapers was working. Well, you know what, folks? My cameraman Mauricio was told to put a mask on. He didn't have one. He's directed to the vending machine, and guess what? It's not working. <laughs> it's, isn't that just so typical about how things are operating right now at Pearson Toronto International? Uh, you can't even pay for an overpriced face diaper without something going wrong. Wow, to quote the ever-loving thing, what a revolting development. Anyway, back to the CSBA press release that seemed to indicate that hope is on the horizon. Here's what it said. Quote, CSBA is constantly exploring innovative ways to deliver a better and faster experience for travelers without compromising the safety and security of Canada's border. To modernize and expedite the travel experience, the CBSA is now providing travelers the option to submit their customs and immigration declaration up to 72 hours in advance of their arrival in Canada through ArriveCan. The advance CBSA declaration optional feature is currently available for international travelers arriving at Toronto Pearson, Montreal Trudeau, and Vancouver International Airports. In the coming months, the optional feature will also become available to travelers arriving at Winnipeg, Halifax, Calgary, Edmonton, Billy Bishop, Toronto City, Ottawa, and Quebec City International Airports. By submitting their customs and immigration information 
In advance, travelers spend less time at primary inspection kiosks or e-gates when they arrive at the airport, resulting in shorter lineups in arrival halls, end quote. Okay, fair enough. It's something, I suppose. Yet, the more I continued to read this press release, folks, the more annoyed I became for a couple of reasons. Firstly, everyone knows that ArriveCan is a dead dog with fleas. It is a major source of delays when this pig in a poke is actually working, that is. But here's the thing. Nowhere in the press release does the CBSA announce a retirement date for this unnecessary hunk of junk. I would suggest the vast majority of Canadians who travel desperately want to know when ArriveCan is going to be tossed upon the scrap heap of obsolescence. But no. And so it was that my spidey senses began tingling here. Is ArriveCan here to stay as in forever and ever? Do the Justin Trudeau liberals love the idea of an app that provides them with the personal medical status of Canadians? I think they do, because they are control freaks. After all, wasn't ArriveCan supposedly to be a temporary measure in terms of dealing with COVID-19? Oh yes, the coronavirus. You see, here's another thing that grinded my gears reading through that CSBA press release. Not once does this agency ever mention COVID-19. Don't you find that odd? After all, it was the pandemic that turned air travel into a god-awful nightmare for all of us in the first place. And while most of the world has returned to a pre-COVID-19 state, well, not so at Canadian airports for reasons that remain unfathomable. But then again, keep in mind that Justin Trudeau is a man who admires the basic dictatorship of China He actually said that back in 2014 before becoming prime minister. Now, call me an extremist if you must, but I kind of get a sick feeling in my gut when I hear the future leader of a Western democracy saying he admires a communist dictatorship that is becoming increasingly belligerent on the world stage these days. You know, folks, if I ever got a chance to ask one question to the PM, it would be this. With China being ground zero for COVID-19, a virus that has killed millions and caused global economic damage in the trillions of dollars, Mr. Prime Minister, do you still admire China? I think it's a fair question, but don't expect any of the Trudeau-funded mainstream media trained SEALs to utter such an impolite query. One must never bite the hand that feeds, after all. By the way, the day the CSBA release came out, guess who was gushing over this so-called advancement on social media? Well, 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 it was none other than Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino. He had this to say on Twitter, quote, The new advanced declaration feature in the Arrive Can app, now available at Montreal Trudeau Airport, Make submitting your info quicker and easier. Most importantly, it cuts the time spent at the kiosk by a third, end quote. Really? Does anyone believe that? A one-third reduction in wait times? As we've demonstrated in recent weeks, Marco Mendicino 
is such a compulsive liar, he actually makes sneaky Patrick Brown blush, Mendicino still clings to the outrageous lie that law enforcement agencies asked the federal government to enact the Emergencies Act, even though there is not a single police chief in our great dominion that will confirm this supposed fact. So when Mandicino gets giddy over the supposedly new and improved Arrive Can, uh, sorry, I'm not buying what the right honorable Pinocchio with a portfolio is selling. After all, this is a shyster who would spit in your face and have the chutzpah to tell you it's actually raining. In any event, earlier today, a press conference was held by Deborah Flint. She's the president and CEO of the Greater Toronto Airport Authority. This is the entity that runs Pearson. And there was a whole lot of blather about future improvements coming to Pearson, hopefully before the second coming of Christ. The press release issued at the event also bragged about current achievements. I use air quotes there, folks, because one achievement was this, quote, last week across the airport, 44% of all flights were on time, end quote. Wow, 44%, you say? Hey, let's have a ticker tape parade. You know, if a baseball player was batting 440, he'd be the best slugger in the game since Ted Williams. But for a business to achieve a 44% success rate, sorry, that's a failing grade. In any event, here are the questions I asked Ms. Flint. I thought the queries were clear and concise. As for Ms. Flynn's answers, I'm not sure she actually provided any tangible answers. Here, check it out for yourself. Thank you for your time, Ms. Flint. Uh, David Menzies with Rebel News. Um, Ms. Flint, on Wednesday, the Canada Border Services Agency issued a press release about alleged improvements to the disastrous Arrive Can app. But the press release was ominous for two reasons, I think. One, there was absolutely no mention when the Arrive Can app is going to be retired. Secondly, there was no mention of COVID, which is the ostensible policy reason for having the ArriveCan app in place in the first place. Therefore, the conclusion is it looks like the Justin Trudeau Liberals want ArriveCan to be a permanent fixture for Canadian air travel. And my question to you is, are you lobbying this government to get rid of this lousy app so that this airport can finally start to function as it should be. The, the federal government is responsible for health and security and border screening policies at this airport. We absolutely have a seat at the table with the government to talk about how those policies and practices affect the airport and how we can work more effectively together to improve the passenger experience, to decrease the processing times and to increase the, t the ability for passengers to control their journey. What we've seen along the way is that the health requirements that were previously in the airport, arrival testing taking place here, uh, requirements for employees, that those have been removed. And we've seen an incredible change in the efficacy of processing as a result. As I shared earlier, I believe that the future can be more digitally enabled. I will say that I am pleased to see that the ArriveCan has been adapted to include the customs arrival function so that it eliminates the time that an individual is spending at a kiosk in the airport. 
The individual did not used to spend time at a kiosk in the airport doing that function. It used to be filled out on paper, and not that that was a great solution, but it kept it out of the airport processing space and function. So with that addition, we've seen a significant reduction in processing time uh, with the adaptation of those mobile tools. What the mobile tools in the future are remains to be seen. But what I'm advocating for is the airport of the future to be digitally equipped with mobile-enabled tools, biometric tools, and modern screening functions. Pearson is the absolute worst airport in the entire world in terms of delayed flights. You're the fourth worst for cancellations. What's really troubling is this report includes data for airports that are situated in third world countries. In addition, the lineups here are outrageous. There are literally tons of lost luggage. There are people who have had their animals almost die due to dehydration because they got lost. Not that it seems that the staff here uh, cares about that. My question is, because Pearson is a mismanaged mess and an international laughingstock, has any GTAA employees uh, been fired? Or indeed, Ms. Flint, have you even considered tendering your resignation? I'm joined here by a representative group of people that reflect the, the unwavering commitment to make this airport better. Um, everything that you've said about the passenger experience here, I take to heart, I take accountability, I am deeply committed to making sure that the passengers have a great and reliable experience. And as I've led the airport to be one of the top airports in the world, I'm committed to making sure that we rise back to that status once again. Toronto Pearson is very unique, and this is not uh, uniquely to Toronto Pearson. We are in a significant transitionary environment coming out of a global pandemic, a global pandemic that's quite not over as of yet. And so we're working through those issues. We have an incredible strength in leadership in the industry, one that is going to give us the confidence that we can move this airport back forward. But the strengths of being the sixth most internationally connected world, uh, airport in the world and the complexity that comes along with that, two borders within our airport facilities, being the largest uh, airport in Canada, these are all significant strengths for the future, but they are also challenges in the immediate. When I think the stories will be told that we rose from the most challenging situation of airports across the world back to the greatest heights, and I'm committed to making sure that happens. You know, folks, I think Ms. Flint is potential Liberal Party of Canada material here. You know, blather on forever without actually saying anything. There is no planet blah. Blah, 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 blah. By the way, here's an excerpt of Miss Flint's bio. Quote, at GTAA, Deborah began her leadership at the onset of the global pandemic and has led Pearson to being globally recognized and awarded for its healthy airport program, end quote. So there we have it, folks. Welcome to Justin Trudeau's New and Improved Canada you run the worst airport in the world and you get an award. Talk about failing upward. Don't know about you, but I think it will be months, maybe years, before things finally get back to normal at the airport because the folks in charge and their political puppet masters, well, folks, they simply don't give a rodent's rectum. 
The Jewish Russian Community Center is located in North Toronto, but on several occasions recently, video surveillance indicated that an individual was trying to break into the center. While he damaged the building's front facade, he never was able to actually break in. Perhaps the man was motivated by anti-Semitism, or maybe he was just a garden variety thief who reckoned there were valuables to pilfer from inside the building. But here's the real story, folks. When Rabbi Shmuel Neft reported these incidents to the police, incredibly, the cops at 32 Division, they simply couldn't be bothered to take this matter seriously. But why? And joining me now is Rabbi Neft for more on this story. Hey there, Rabbi, how are you doing? Good to see you, David. Great, so first things first, in the beginning of your quest for justice, as I understand it, you were put on hold for more than two hours. Is that correct? Yeah. So when we finally got a hold of the security footage um, and th that showed the the incident, which was, by the way, the the, the third of a series of incidents, second break in, but a third incident with this involving the same individual. By the way, she's a woman. Apparently, um, the the the, Toronto, the police called me back today and they told me they. They, they, they found who it is, but we'll get to that. So I, I found the, 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 the footage. I uh, was ready to hand it over to the police, and I called as soon as we were able to download it. I called uh, 32 Division to the non-emergency hotline, and yes, like, as you said, I stayed on hold for just about two hours. I managed to pray in, in the, 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 the afternoon services and evening services, as well as go out to, go out to dinner with a community member, all while on hold with the Toronto Police Service. Unbelievable. And then when you actually got to speak to them, uh, I understand they were very nonchalant about what was happening. Is that correct? The truth is, is that I never really reached them uh, in a direct way. I gave up at about 10, that was last Thursday, uh, the 27th of, 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 of July. I pretty, pretty much gave up on the phone call and drove to 32 Division, which is not so far away. Uh, on Yonk Street, uh, and uh, thinking that I would be able to get their attention in person, um, and I was basically told that uh, that number one, that the system that they that, that they have is that non-emergency uh, reports go exclusively through the phone line, the hotline. Uh, emergency things obviously go through 911, and um, and they couldn't do anything for me there at the scene. Um, and basically, I so I before I before I, I was trying to be a little, a little stubborn. So I was trying to maybe see if I could do anything. I said, you know, I'm, I was on hold for two hours. Oh. Yeah, we know you might be on hold for two hours, three hours, four hours. So why is that? I said, well, that if, he said, frankly, well, we're understaffed right now, hmm. which is mind blowing. <laughs> um, and basically, yeah, 10, 10, 10, 30 at night, he said, get back on the phone, wait, uh, wait until uh, they answer and then you'll be able to, to report the crime. And uh, that's when I decided I'm going to take other measures in, in, in trying to get the attention of the police department. And uh, Rabbi Neft, I, I can understand why you would be sensitive to this kind of attempted break-in 
at your community center. Uh, we were talking off camera. You uh, came to Toronto from New York, and of course, uh, my producer Nye Efren, we went down to New York in 2019 when there was a horrible spike in anti-Semitism. It would be people basically looking like you, walking down the street, minding their own business and getting sucker punched or worse. And of course, your hometown, uh, Pittsburgh, in 2018, that was the uh, scene of that horrible uh, synagogue attack there. So um, when someone is coming, perhaps even weaponized, we don't know, you can't tell from the footage, it is cause for concern. And uh, quite frankly, I'm scratching my head why uh, the police were so nonchalant about this. Right. So I'm saying ultimately, we've, I'm saying you could you could tell by the footage that, you know, this wasn't a hate crime. We have to be we have to be real with ourselves. What is a hate crime? What is not a hate crime? Hate crimes are not rare anymore in the city of Toronto and its surrounding areas. Let's start with that. I could, you could, uh, so the, 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 the level-headed observer could see that this was a uh, an attempt at theft, and the police department called me, the inspector, chief and lead inspector of 32 Division. By the way, I have to make mention that after all the noise we made, 32 Division was on the job, on ball. The detectives calling me almost daily, updating me. Um, I called, I have this, you know, I have the lead detective's personal cell phone number. We were in touch about uh, things throughout the week. And then when I finally found footage of the first and second incidents with this individual, the next day, there were, I called him that night, Wednesday night, Thursday, yesterday, I had an officer bright and early to come pick up that footage. So they've been on the ball uh, ever since we made a lot of noise. But like like you said, David, we, we don't take these things lightly. This is a, this is a, this is not a community center. This is a, well, this is not just a community center. This happens to be a synagogue. This is a, this is the, the heart of the, of the local Jewish community. Um, and look, historically, Jews have a longstanding trauma uh, of, of feeling vulnerable throughout history. Before we, you know, in, in, in the old countries, uh, whether it was in Europe, whether it was in the Middle East, Jews were mistreated all over. And, you know, coming to Canada and coming to North America in general, but especially Canada, which is which is always a place people, you know, Canadians tell me that Canada is better than the United States of America, even though I'm American, so I'll stay out of the conversation. But people say, you know, it's safer in Canada. It's there's 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 better amenities in Canada. There's better protection in Canada. Well, look, the Jewish community lives in Canada, and they're starting to feel that they're starting to get you know a little feeling of that same vulnerability they had. Right, especially we, you know, JRCC stands for Jewish Russian Community Center. We we work primarily with Russian-speaking Jews, people who grew up, at least the older generation already, grew up under the thumb of the KGB. They their upbringing was there's the police are not for you. The police are against you. That was the existence of the police back then. They come to Canada. The police they 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 are taught that the police are supposed to protect them, and they they feel. Even even a little bit, but the, a breach in this in this feeling of protection, and that starts to spark up all of those old traumas again. Of are we really protected? Is this really our home? Are we really safe here? So it's so yeah. My our case obviously a, 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 you know attempted theft, but this person was come, came here once, came here twice, and came here three times. They were targeting the synagogue for whatever you know whatever was inside, whatever she wanted to get. Um, and at a, at a very, at least superficial level, we, you know, would feel this lack of, uh, of attention from those who we felt at least. And now we, you know, we, we now, you know, you, you know, like I said, they were on the ball, but then we were feeling vulnerable. I, I, I said to the officer at 32 division, I said, 
you're sending me home now and I have to go to bed thinking that this person is going to come back a, another time and now this now this person has smartened up and knows what works and what doesn't work so then when she actually gets into the building and starts stealing things and runs out and I find out about it so she's already way gone with all of my stuff then I'm going to call you then you're going to come a little faster and then you're only going only then you're going to take care of it and that you know that's that that's that's no way to live we're not in Chicago we're not in Detroit we're not in we're not in New York we're in Toronto. Well, you know, Rabbi Neft, I, I'm glad at least the police, as you said, are now treating this um, more seriously than uh, the beginning. But I want to talk to you about another issue, and it seems to be the double standard when it comes to hate crimes or alleged hate crimes. A few years ago, it might have been just before you moved to Toronto, Rabbi, we had um, a Muslim schoolgirl who claimed that her hijab had been shredded by a man with scissors, an Asian man. And that story would later become known as the hijab hoax. It never happened. And yet, look at the reaction. You had a press conference set up by the Toronto District School Board. You had uh, a who's who um, in certain circles coming to attend that. You had the Prime Minister himself flying into Toronto to denounce Islamophobia. And it was all false. And when it, and when, when it was revealed it was false, the narrative was, well, yeah, it wasn't true, but it could have been true. So. That's why we should still uh, take this seriously. It was quite perverse. But here's an example of something caught on video. It's not a falsehood. It is someone clearly trying to break in. And it seems to be a nothing burger. Why is that, sir? Canadian culture, as far as I've observed, as, as somewhat of an outsider on the inside, there's this, this, this hesitancy to offend people um canadians don't like offending people uh and i and i can see that those that are you know those that have the power also don't want to offend people and that's exacerbated by the by the fact that the people they're afraid of offending they know will make a big stink out of even the most minor thing right so you know if a you know you, you know the, the so if a bunch of anti-semitic pro-palestinian protesters rock up to a jewish business like they did last month in Thornhill, they, those same people will criticize the police who came and, re and responded as being Islamophobic for getting in their way, mm. right? And and so so this 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 sort of pleasing the 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 loud the loud crowd is what's kind of happening. And and, and you see it. I'm saying you, the, the thing is is you're not gonna you will not ever see in this city or pretty much anywhere else Jews rioting. You know, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter style, uh, because they're being, you know, because they're being under underhanded by their by the by their by their governments. That doesn't happen, people, and, and and everyone knows that we're not that kind of people. We're not a victim. We're not a victim mentality people. We're people that that adapts. Sometimes we have to adapt with force, and that's why you have the modern state of Israel that has a strong army, and that, as you said today in the news. Israel's being now attacked in response to their preemptive attack, knowing that someone's going to attack them. And yet they're, you know, they're going to be, they're the ones that, that are being, that are being shamed for it. So everyone knows that it's not, it's not the, it's not just the, it's not the Jewish mentality to, to play victim. And therefore we're, we're, you could say that we're a bit push, push ovary. So if it's between offending someone that's a pro-Palestinian protester, that's going to make a big scene that the, that the, that the, the police are, 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 are Islamophobic or the Jews that are going 
going to you're going to as we say fetch about it and maybe they'll put up maybe they'll put pressure in other ways but they're not going to scream and yell and break windows and things so that's what they go for and no, you see that obviously in this in the city you see it with like like you said in that incident that happened before i moved or you had it in the, in the, Thorn, the incident in thornhill a few weeks ago last month you have it you have the you know all these all these incidents that involve hate against the jewish community you see that that there that uh, that uh, the the police are trying to please uh, those that are going to make more noise. No, I like what uh, you said earlier, Rabbi. The loud crowd. I mean, I'm I'm thinking back to I think it was May of last year, 2021, yeah. and we covered. Uh, it was uh, pro-Palestinian demonstrators who converged on City Hall. They were climbing the arches of Nathan Phillips Square. Incredibly dangerous, uh, and they were allowed free reign. And some of them actually went and beat up Jewish counter-protesters. And in the meantime, um, freedom uh, protesters, people against the lockdowns and the COVID-19 mandates, uh, they were violently physically arrested at uh, nearby Young Dundas Square, which became a no man's land for some reason. Again, it speaks to, I think, the outrageous double standard uh, that we're seeing, and it, it, it's downright shameful. Um, Last question goes to you, uh, Rabbi. Where do we go from here? Uh, obviously, you're, I guess, keeping a keen eye on the video surveillance, but is maybe law enforcement um, doing drive-bys, surveillance, what have you, to see if they can catch this culprit? Well, there's a lot to there's a lot to say to answer this question. First, I want to make there's there, there's there you have to give we have to give a lot of credit where credit is due. Number one, the, go the federal government of Canada, with the help of our now former uh, MP Michael Levitt gave us a security grant, uh, a, a large, sizable security grant, which allowed us to have multiple cameras that caught this guy in the, in the act from, for this lady in the act from multiple angles, as well as kept the door shut, right? They were the, those doors were impenetrable for her. She couldn't get through them. Although if you look at the way she was trying to do it, it was not really the smartest way, but either way. So we, you know, we have to, we have to give credit where credit was due to our local MPP, uh, Michael Kersner, who was even on vacation, even though on vacation, he was on the phone with me uh, keeping tabs and uh, introduced me to some some people that can help and is also committed to taking this further. James Pasternak, city councilor, who uh, was on whose office was on the phones of the police and are continuing to be on the phones of the police, um, and all the people in you know we have look. We have to we had to we had to resort to being in touch with private Jewish organizations that were willing to uh, both advocate on our behalf as well as. For, for, you know, provide volunteers to do to do uh, patrols around here, um, and it, it's it, it's unfortunate it has to come to that that we have to have our own organizations uh, doing things to protect us to, to protect us. Um, you know, I've been in close contact with the police department. Um, they told me that they will be increasing. They have been and will be increasing patrols in the area. Um, and uh, you know, we had we had some frank conversations. Uh, myself, the detective, the lead detective about you know what we can do in order to to mend this and to strengthen this relationship because frankly david we love the police i like i said i'm 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 born and bred midwest pittsburgh pennsylvania is uh, is blue collar and we were we were brought up with a, this principle that the police are good we like the police but we want a strong police we want a police that is reliable that can protect us um, and we, I want to see the same thing here. I want, I, I, I believe we should have an active, fully staffed, 
fully budgeted police force that is reliable, that has no holes in the system, no glitches in the system. And look, it took this, this situation for us to learn something. And, and a lot of times, you know, we learn, we learn from our experiences and I've, you know, I, this, this, uh, this really, uh, you know, uh, riled me up enough that I really feel a responsibility to, to continue advocating, continue with the conversation with those that have an influence in the situation. Um, I, I, I personally want to, you know, want to push the, the, the city government to look into how three music festivals with hundreds of thousands of people were permitted were given permits to happen on the same weekend, thereby stretching an already underfunded and understaffed police force. Why did this have to happen? And what we can do in order to prevent it from happening again for anybody. This should be a safe city for all its residents, not just the Jewish community. And also we take we take these things very sensitively in the Jewish community. And with, with, with regards to protection of Jewish community assets and people in the Jewish community, we're also uh, in, you know, t continuing the conversation uh, about security for our community and um, in general we're just we're continuing the conversation we just want to do whatever we can i want to do whatever i can in order to make the city a better a better and safer place for all of its residents well rabbi nefton closing two points one i think maybe the police should take away it should, should reassign uh, those police officers in High Park giving speeding tickets to bicyclists. Uh, a, I don't think that's a top priority thing. And B, I'm so happy to hear that ex-liberal MP uh, Michael Levitt is doing something positive for the Jewish community. The last time I saw him, I asked him a question, uh, should the Canadian Embassy be in Jerusalem? He looked at me like uh, Bambi uh, looking into the high beams of a Hummer on the 401 and took a bow of silence. So, you know, you know, we <laughs> We, we love Michael. Okay. <laughs> Very clear. There's only one. There's only one party in this in this country whose platform uh, includes recognizing Jerusalem as the eternal capital of the Jewish people, and I don't think it was the same party that Michael served with. But Michael is an incredible individual. Okay, then I'll I'll, I'll take your word for it. Rabbi, thank you so much for your time, and uh, you have a, yourself a great evening, my friend. You as well. Folks, a lot of response came in regarding my interview yesterday with Chris Soda. He's the Windsor resident who is hoping to run for council in Ward 2 at the city of Windsor. And he was originally told that unless he was fully vaccinated, he would not be allowed to run as a candidate. Absolutely unbelievable. In any event, Sean, 1973, writes... The reason for the jab is most likely to keep the rebels and conservatives out of the political realm. They want yes people in office. Those who got the jab are most likely to be bought. You know, I, I agree with you 100%, sir, but here's the slippery slope argument. If you're telling political candidates they're not allowed to run unless fully vaccinated, well, what what's next? Telling citizens they can't vote if they're not fully vaccinated. Yeah, I'm sure uh, certain political types would like that kind of stipulation enacted on us as well. Too much for air, writes. Windsor just became the looniest city in Canada. Well, in fairness, when Chris raised a stink about this, 
the policy was was reviewed and he will be allowed to uh, run in Ward 2 in Windsor this fall, uh, even in his typhoid Mary state. But here's the thing. Should he win, he will have to attend city council meetings via Zoom or Skype. He's not going to be allowed to come into City Hall. It is unbelievable. Why enforce such a stigma on this man should he become the victor? Why demonize and vilify the unvaccinated? It just gets worse and worse. Well, folks, thank you so much for tuning in to tonight's edition of the Ezra Levant Show. The big boss man, he'll be back on Monday. Have a fantastic weekend and never forget, stay sane. This is Juan Mendoza reporting for Rebel News. Well, good morning. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis held a press conference on August 5th in West Palm Beach announcing the appointment of Judge Renata Francis to be in the Florida Supreme Court. Beginning of September uh, for our next justice of the Florida Supreme Court, Judge Renata Francis. She will be filling up the vacancy left by Al Lawson. Former Florida Supreme Court Justice Al Lawson announces retirement earlier this year. So Justice Francis will be taking over his spot and will start in September 1st of this year. You can do great things. You can realize great dreams uh, if you put your mind to it, if you work hard, and if you believe in the principles that make our country what it is and what we're trying to continue it to be here in our state. And so I think she'll be emblematic of that. I think this comes a day after Governor Ron DeSantis announced the suspension of state attorney Andrew Warren for refusing to uphold Florida law. When you depart from the rule of law, like we've seen with a lot of these prosecutors, like look at San Francisco, you know, the wealthy people still voted to keep that prosecutor in. Why? Because all the chaos that was unleashed by the insane policies, those were falling on the shoulders of working class communities. They were fa falling on the shoulders of, of communities that couldn't necessarily retreat behind gates and private protection. And so when you have the rule of law, the people that that benefits the most uh, are those that may not have uh, power on their own, that may not have big institutions lined up behind them.